And if you have not been here or here before and you've never seen me up here, well, uh, I want to welcome you along with the others. Uh, it's great to have you here on such a special night. And wow, isn't it an amazing night? Um, to have, have people up here, uh, you know, telling their story and showing us that they've decided to follow Jesus and uh, because of what he's done for them. Um, and isn't it interesting to uh, how people uh, come to Jesus from different places, uh, different backgrounds and for all different reasons, uh, but they still find the answer they're looking for in that one person. I love listening to people's stories. Um, you know, each of us, has, I suppose, has a story, don't we? I, I have a story, uh, you know, my interests, my experiences, uh, you know, the, my warped sense of humour. Um, it'll be different to yours. Uh, everybody is that little bit different. No two stories are alike. And uh, certainly we are the product of our family and we're the product of our friends um, we're influenced by our teachers and the community around us uh, that we might have grown up in. You know, here it's a, it's a medium sort of sized re regional town or you might have grown up in Melbourne, you know, or you might have grown up on a farm, you know, miles from your next door neighbour. Um, all of those things have an influence on us um, and they will shape us. And so, yes, we are individual and we're unique but also in many ways I reckon um, we, we all seek the same things. Tonight um, these guys that were baptised um, have told us how getting to know Jesus has actually impacted their lives. Um, the very act of baptism is a physical representation or a reenactment of what they say they've experienced in their lives. Um, the imagery is of death and burial and, and brought back to new life or, or the other image of being washed and cleansed and then renewed for a new purpose and a new meaning. And that's what they're saying has happened to them already. It's been a transformation for them. Um, it's no wonder that people cheer and clap when we see a baptism. Um, it's, it's the recognition that something really significant has happened for these people and tonight we've all been here to witness it. To stand up here though and to say, I have given my life to God. My saviour is Jesus the Christ. And that I will chase after him. That's a huge, huge thing. A real milestone in somebody's path to spiritual maturity. I, the whole point of baptism is that it's actually a witness uh, to others. It's a, it's a step in saying, I'm not turning back. I'm all in. So this is a very happy event uh, for those who were baptised, but also uh, for those who, who might have been through this step and know what it means. But this act, this baptism that you saw tonight, it's, it's actually not the end. It's, 
it's not, a, not the completion of what God wants to do in a person's life. It's, it's just a point in it. Yes, it's a significant point, but it's not the end. It's not the goal. Um, let me try to explain this by giving you a story. Um, a few years ago, uh, I was living in Sydney and uh, I decided I wanted to run the City to Surf race. I know it's hard to believe looking at me now. Um, I'd never run that race before and I had no idea what it would be like. Uh, people at work and other places would tell me uh, about this heartbreak hill. Um, but what, was, what were these hills like? I don't know. Um, what were the hazards along the way? I don't know. I've never run the race before. So there were so many unknowns. I did know that this is the biggest community race in the world. It has a, usually each year there's about 80,000 people join in. Um, and the problem with having so many people is that there's a whole lot of them that aren't very serious about the run. The, there are some serious runners, but unless you're at the front, um, you get stuck in with 60,000 other runners who, who, who aren't there to run. They're just, uh, they just turn up for the fun. Um, they're the guys that are dressed like fairies and, uh, and uh, they're the, the people dressed like gorillas and, um, and the mums with strollers and kids, with, kids dressed up as Superman. Um, they will eventually cross that line 14 kilometres away, but it probably will take them all day. I wanted to run the race. I wanted to do the best I could and I wanted to get to the end and know that I could, do, could have done nothing better. So to do that, I wanted to be, uh, be at the front when the gun goes off. And uh, the only way that happens in the city to surf is if you get something called a green start. Now, the green start means that you've proved you can run the whole distance and do it in under a certain time. Um, and that way, they'll put you up near the front when the, when the gun goes off. So, bef so uh, months before the city is surf, I was training for this event. I was running 15 kilometres about five times a week um, and doing some other exercise as well. Um, and uh, so what happened was that uh, about six weeks before the... Uh, sorry... A few months before the race, I actually entered a little 10-kilometre race close to, to close to my home, which did official timing, and they timed me for 10K, and I used that, and uh, as soon as the application forms came, became available, I got my official time uh, certificate, and I got my application form, and I put it straight in because I didn't want to miss out. And uh, about six weeks later, I got the letter, and I had achieved a green start. I was over the moon. Um, that meant I was going to be uh, now an official runner, proper runner in the city to surf. And uh, everybody who would see this green bib that I had would know that I wanted to run the race properly. Um, and that's what actually baptism is actually a bit like. It's, it's a signal to everyone around that, that you're serious and about uh, not just trusting in God, 
but also wanting to live completely for him. The thing is, being, a, being given a green, uh, a green start or baptism, they're just a step. I still actually had to run the race. And that race was going to be long. And it's going to have its hard bits. It's going to have some big hills uh, uh, and possibly some unexpected turns. Like all races, um, you're unlikely to have... You're, sorry, you're likely to have times when, you know, the adrenaline hits and you feel on top of the world and you're going great. But then there's also times when you hit the wall and uh, you just want to stop. Um, the Apostle Paul probably was the biggest sports nut in the Bible, um, he, uh, he understood this principle. Uh, we don't have any record, really, that he, he competed in any sports, but he uses lots of sports analogies um, and he seems to understand the mind of an athlete. And Paul says when he was writing his uh, letter to these guys uh, in, in a town called Philippi, and the, the, names, the letter's named... Philippians, he says, uh, when talking about the Christian life, he says, not that I've already a a attained this or have already been made perfect. He's, he's talking about following Jesus here. He says, but I press on to take hold of that which for which Christ took hold of me. What he's getting at in this, in this passage is that when... Uh, when he met Jesus Christ, Paul's heart and his mind and his soul was so captured by what Jesus had done that, that, and that it transformed him and gave Paul, in fact, it gives uh, each of us who trust in Jesus a whole new purpose um, and direction. It gives us a new goal, gives us a new finish line. Paul goes on to say, Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and, and straining forward to, uh, strain, to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul, this amazing, insightful, wise, dedicated, passionate follower of Jesus. You know, the man who wrote half the New Testament, he, he doesn't think that he's actually completed the race yet. He's implying here that, he, he, uh, that he's actually stumbled in the past and he thinks that there is still more for him to do. And then he says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Maturity, that seems to be both part of the process and part of the goal. That's maturity in your life following Jesus. That's what he's talking about. It's, it's a spiritual fitness, really. There's always more muscles to exercise and there's always more strength to gain. That's what he's saying here. And then he says, 
if some of you, sorry, and if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make it clear to you. So if you think you're as fit as you can, as as spiritually mature as you could possibly be, well, God will actually pretty soon show you the areas where you still need work. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Wouldn't it be sad to go backwards, to become weaker in your faith, to run the race slower? How embarrassing would it be to be overtaken by the guy in the Wookiee suit? The aim is continual growth. That's what Paul's getting at. It's a continual process. Paul is imploring us to keep going, keep striving, keep growing and maturing as we aim to be more like Jesus. That's a big call and it's a big task. If Paul, this spiritual giant, a guy who even laid his life on the line multiple times for Jesus, if he doesn't think that he's finished growing spiritually, then what about us? These guys who have been baptised tonight, or even our church leaders, our youth group leaders, are, there, are any of us going to make it if Paul can't? Are, there, are any of us going to reach spiritual adulthood? Well, I reckon the answer is one of these yes and no things again. No, we will never fully attain maturity. We'll never be completely like Jesus at least not until we see him face to face. But the answer is also yes. Yes, we can experience constant growth, consistent development of our faith and our attitudes and our actions. And that's what Paul wants for both the Philippians, who he's writing to, and also for us. In this letter to the Philippians that, uh, that we've been working through, Uh, bit by bit for the last couple of months, we've seen Paul explaining that that there is joy that we can find in following Jesus. We've heard some of that joy here tonight in, uh, in these guys telling their stories. The release and the freedom we can find uh, when we concern ourselves more with what Jesus is about um, and his will for us and we stop chasing after the things that the world keeps trying to feed us. You might remember that Paul, even though he's in prison when he wrote this letter, um, he says that he can still be joyful and he wants us to know that joy too. But how can we do that? How can we express the joyous life that he's describing? Well, fortunately, here near the very end of this book or this letter, he gives us just a few more tips about how to do that. We've actually already seen one of those. It was back in verse 13. Um, It says, 
one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Now, it's an interesting way to put things, I reckon. Um, Forgetting what's behind. How do we forget what we've been through? How do we forget the hurts and even the scars that we might have picked up in our past? You know, that's pretty much what the media would want us to hold on to. They seem to want us to live in pain and never forget that somebody has wronged us or, or our family or community, that we have some sort of right for revenge or that somehow the government or the world or even God, they, they owe us something because we've been hurt. Well, the fact is, when we read this advice from Paul, we get way too hung up on the forgetting And we don't put anywhere near as much emphasis as we need on the straining. Paul's not advocating here for some sort of community or individual amnesia where we don't remember or learn from the past. That would be crazy. Um, What he's saying is that we, we, if that if we are living in the past, we we're being held back and weighed down by the past, and we're not living the way that Jesus wanted us to be able to live. There's no joy in that sort of life living in the past. And Jesus says back in in Luke 4, verse 18, that he's actually come to set us free. Instead, what he seems to want us to do is to be straining forward. That is this sense of, uh, of putting all your remaining effort into moving ahead. You know, way back uh, before this was written, centuries before Paul's letter, God said the same sort of thing through a bloke called Isaiah. Uh, the people and the king or the leaders, they were all uh, supposed to be following God and they'd really stuffed it up and uh, they'd turned their backs on God. But God, with his incredible love and mercy, he reaches out to them. And just as he's reaching out to us, longing for them to um, them and us to turn back to him and start afresh. And, and God says through Isaiah, um, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the armies and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. So here God is first reminding the people of Israel through Isaiah that when, uh, when they escaped from Egypt, and they were trapped between the sea and Pharaoh's army, it was him, God, that not only made a way out, but went further and actually destroyed that army that was coming against them. And then, in the very next breath, God says, forget the former things. 
Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. These people who've failed him so many times, God is telling them, and he's also telling us, that he is faithful and has mercy on us. And he wants us to get up and move forward. Not to live or stay fixated on either the, either the failings or, for that matter, our victories of the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Isn't that great? That God would do that despite what we've done. That that alone is a huge weight lifted off our shoulders. There alone is a reason for joy. So if I jump back to Paul and the Philippians, we, we, now, uh, we now know that we aren't to live in the past. So how are we to respond? Well, Paul gives us two more pieces of advice. And he says in Philippians uh, 3.17... He says, join with others in following my example, brothers, sisters as well, um, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. So this following Paul example, um, sorry, following Paul's example is taking note of people who are following Jesus. And there's great advice we are also following people who are following Jesus. But how do we do it? Well, in our Western culture, we all like to be, be individual and unique. Why don't we want to be... We probably don't want to be like somebody else. Um, I mean, as a young person, I was like this. I, I imagine most of you are. You probably... Not many of you dream of growing up and doing exactly what your parents did. You don't want to be a photocopy of your parents. Everybody likes to be unique. But, but Paul is saying that we should model ourselves on others, not be an exact copy of them, but model ourselves. Those, we should model ourselves on those who are more mature in their faith and who are already more like Jesus. Once again, I reckon that's a bit like racing or running. One technique for improving your running is to find somebody who's fitter, stronger and faster than you are. Or you might, in an actual race, pick somebody uh, who's out in front and use them to set the pace, maybe even try to catch them. It's a motivator. Um, and it can help you avoid the pitfalls. Paul's example is to live life completely sold out to Jesus, to, to model his life off Jesus and to obey Jesus. Just what the guys being baptised tonight said they wanted to do. The final piece of advice uh, we get is from Paul a, from Paul, and he's, it's actually a warning. Um, and he says there in, in uh, 18 to 20, um, for I've told you before, and now I tell you, even with tears, I, I think here he, he, I get the impression that he, he's thinking 
about past friends who who started out following Jesus but have fallen away and abandoned their race. And he says, many live, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is stuck on earthly things. But our citizenship, it's in heaven. And what does he mean by that? What does he mean by the God is their stomach? Is he just talking about gluttony? Um, well, no. Um, I think he's using the idea of overindulgence. You know, for a runner, overindulgence in food will be their undoing. Um, but really, Paul is telling us that anything which we allow to rule our lives, be it food or possessions, um, sensuality, power, whatever, um, if we use our freedom and give ourselves over to those things, it will eventually rule us and we'll become enslaved to it. And slavery is not citizenship. Citizenship has privileges and, and freedoms. It's a special place with belonging and ownership. Could there be anything more joyous than being a citizen of heaven? I, I don't think so. Paul tells us that the moment we might, uh, sorry, at the moment, we might be waiting for Jesus, but when we meet him, either um, when he returns or when we cross that finish line ourselves, we're going to be transformed to be fully mature. Our lowly mortal bodies will be changed to be like his. It's a resurrected, eternal and glorified body. Then he goes on to say, therefore, that's Paul again talking, my brothers and sisters, whom you who I love and long for, you're my joy and my crown. He's so proud of what they have already been doing. That's how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. What a great message we get from him. A great reminder of the attitude we should have as we, we run this race we call being a Christian. You know, the guys who were baptised, Tyler, Oliver and Kate, they've stood up here and they've declared that their worlds have been changed by having Jesus in their life. They've actually demonstrated in a physical way the, what God has done for them. He's been restoring them to a relationship with himself and granting them citizenship. In fact, family status in God's family. And uh, they've announced that they're not forgetting, sorry, they are forgetting what is behind and they are striving towards that goal. Um, maybe tonight, 
you've been listening to their stories and, and you don't fully understand what they're getting at. And maybe you know somebody who's, who's become a Christian and you might have seen changes in that person and you might want to know why. Or maybe tonight, even uh, though you have given yourself to Jesus in the past, you feel him saying, it's time you got a green start and got serious about this race. Time to get serious with him. Time to declare to the world that you believe and you want to find, as you, you want to find out more about baptism. Look, no matter where you're up to, even if you are too scared to do anything, you've been too scared to do anything in the past, um, tonight is an opportunity to find out even more and maybe even take a first step. Um, I'm going to invite anybody who's interested to find out more how to move ahead and go to the next stage with God. I want you, at the, you to come down at the end of the service. There's going to be people down here at the front that would love to talk to you. They'll be able to explain things to you. If you want them to do that, you can ask them questions. Um, just come down during the last song or straight after we've finished. Just grab a seat down here on the, on the front row and uh, somebody will come and uh, meet with you. If you need to, you could even bring a friend down and uh, we'll get a few, of the, a few of the leaders from around the church who can, uh, can explain things to you. They'll be really pleased to talk to you. Why don't you join me as we thank God for what we've seen tonight. Father God, what an amazing night you've brought us to. Thank you for bringing us here to witness these three young people declare that they've given their lives to you and want to follow you forever. We thank you for their stories for the way you've changed and renewed them and that you offer that same change to each one of us here tonight. Father, we thank you that just like Paul said, we can forget what is in our past, our failures, our hurts, and we can strain towards the goal, the goal of having a mature faith as we trust in you completely the amazing joy of knowing that you offer to save us from our destructive and selfish lives and restore us into your family. Father, I know that there will be people here tonight that don't fully get what we've been talking about or even understand why somebody would go through with this weird baptism thing. And I know that there are others that you're tapping on the shoulder or you're whispering in their heart saying, are you ready to take this race seriously? Are you going to obey me in baptism? For each of those people, I ask for courage, a sense of urgency, that they would be confident to come and speak with somebody who you've prepared to listen just to them and to help. 
we hold up these three young people and ask that you would surround them with people who they can model their lives on, that they would mature in their faith and that you would use them to do do mighty things through them. In fact, I ask that for each of us here tonight, that we would press forward in our faith, encouraged by what we've seen and heard and energised to run the race all the way to the end. Father, be with us this week as we live for you. Amen.